So today we're going to continue with the series of the book of Yaakov, which is Jacob or James in most translations, chapter 2. And as you're turning there, Father God, we come before you at this time. We humble our hearts before you. We thank you, Lord, that you rose up these apostles who are now in your presence to write your plan and your will and your provision for everyone that came after. This was written approximately 2,000 years ago, but it is alive. God's word is alive. And as we allow ourselves to be teachable and pliable and flexible in the hands of God, he will form and shape us. We will be transformed by God's word. We'll be fully equipped and empowered to walk in unity with God the Father through his son Yeshua, being filled and empowered by the presence of the Ruach, the spirit of the living God, to accomplish all the Father's will. The Lord has numbered our days upon this earth, and we don't know when they're going to end. But our heart's desire is to be found faithful, doing all that the Lord desires for us to do. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. So we're going to start in verse number 14 today of the second chapter of Yaakov, James. What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no actions to prove it? Is such faith able to save him? So suppose your brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And someone says to him, Shalom, keep warm, eat hearty, without giving him what he needs. What good does it do? Thus faith by itself, unaccompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say that you have faith and I have actions. Show me this faith of yours without actions, and I will show you my faith by my actions. You believe in God. Good for you. Demons believe in it too. The thought makes them shudder with fear. But foolish fellow, do you want to be shown that such faith apart from action is barren? Wasn't Avraham of Yinu, our father declared righteous because of actions, when he offered up his son Yitzhak, Isaac, on the altar. You see that his faith worked with his actions. By the actions, the faith was made complete. And the passage of the Tanakh was fulfilled, which says, Avraham, Abraham, had faith in God, and it was credited to him, to his count, as righteousness. He was even called God's friend. You see, that person is declared righteous because of actions and not because faith alone. Likewise, Rachav, who is Rahab, the prostitute also 
declared righteous because of actions. When she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another route. Indeed, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so too faith without actions is dead. So we're going to focus today on verse number 17 and going forward. Faith accompanied by action was never alone alive. A workless faith is a faith is a worthless faith. As Martin Luther said, it is impossible to separate from faith as it is to separate the burning from the shining from a fire. Now let us look at verse number 18. But someone will say I, that you have faith and I have actions. Yaakov now introduces imagery, a third party, someone coming to defend an imagery, you, who answers yes to the questions of verse number 14 and believes that intellectual faith without works can save him. Someone will say to you, are the one of genuine faith and that I, Yaakov, have only actions without faith and I'm trying to save myself by my works. My answer to you, and he, now he's speaking indirectly to someone, that imaginary person, is show me this faith of yours without your actions. You won't be able to. Since genuine faith is perceived not through the deeds that issue from it, However, for my part, I, Yaakov, will show you my faith by my actions. And you will have to conclude that I am not trying to save myself by works. Rather, my works grow out of my faith and prove that it is genuine faith. So, introducing now this imagery of these adversaries is a recognized strategy in Jewish Pedagogy. And so with this, we see that there's an example that we're going to look at right now. Turn with me now to Romans chapter 10 and verse 14. Romans 10 and verse 14. And here we are. This is the Apostle Paul giving a comparison for us. Romans 10 and verse 14. But how can they call upon someone if they haven't trusted in him? And how can they trust in someone if they haven't heard about him? And how can they hear about someone if no one is proclaiming him? And how can people proclaim him unless God sends them? As the Tanakh puts it, how beautiful are the feet of those announcing good news about good things. The problem is that they haven't all, haven't all paid attention to the good news and obeyed it. For Yeshayahu, Isaiah says, Adonai has trusted what he has heard from us. 
Verse 17. So trust comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through a word proclaimed about the Messiah. But I say, isn't it rather that they didn't hear? No, they did hear. Their voice has gone out throughout the world and their words to the ends of the earth. But I say, isn't it rather that Israel did not understand? I will provoke you to jealousy over a non-nation, over a nation void of understanding. I will make you angry. And who's speaking there but the Lord himself through Isaiah? Moreover, Yeshiahu, Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I became known to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a people who kept disobeying and contradicting. In that case, I say, isn't it that God, I say, isn't it that God has repudiated his people? Heaven forbid. I myself, a son of Israel, from the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin, God has not repudiated his people, whom he chose in advance. Or don't you know what the Tanakh says about Eliyahu, Elijah? He pleads with God against Israel. Adonai, they have killed your prophets, and they've torn down your altars, and I'm the only one left. And now they want to kill me too. But what is God's answer to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not knelt down to Baal. It's the same way in the present age. There is a remnant chosen by grace. Now, if it is by grace, it is according, not based on legalistic works. If it were otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What follows is that Israel has not attained the goal for which she is striving. The ones chosen have obtained it, but the rest have been made stone-like. Just as the Tanakh says, God has given them a spirit of dullness, eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear, right down to this present day. And David says, let their dining table become for them a snare and a trap, a pitfall and a punishment. Let their eyes be darkened so that they can't see, with their backs bent continually. In this case, I say, isn't it that they have stumbled, stumbled with the result that they have permanently fallen away? Heaven forbid. Quite the contrary. It is by means of their stumbling that the deliverance has come to the Gentiles in order to provoke them, that's the Jewish people, to jealousy. And so that's part of God's design. That's part of God's plan. So that the good news would be revealed to the nations. And when the Jewish people would observe that the God of their fathers is blessing a people 
with no former knowledge of God's holy word, the Tanakh, it would cause in them jealousy because they could see the manifestation of God's provision for them. And that would cause them to be at first angry and upset with God, but then one day seek after him with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. The tragedy that has happened to Israel from October the 7th has opened up many Jewish people's eyes who currently have a veil over their eyes. Many of them are asking about what the prophets in the Tanakh have written. They're inquiring of these things. And some are coming up to Messianic Jews that are around them, and they're asking for them to share with them because the average Jewish person does not read the Tanakh on their own. They go by what the interpretation of the rabbis, the books that they've written, the Talmud, the Mishnah. And so they get filtered answers that does not lead them to salvation in Messiah. The picture has been clouded for them. And so that is both a blessing and great sadness in that there are many of those in Israel and around the world who still have a veil over their eyes and now they're beginning to search God with all their heart, soul, and mind, but now they're embracing Orthodox, Orthodox Judaism that does not bring them to what they desire, and that is to be reconciled unto God the Father through his Son, the only way, the truth, and the life, who is Messiah Yeshua. And God is drawing from this tragedy a remnant who are pursuing God with all their whole heart, mind, and soul. And the Spirit of the living God is right now removing the veil from their eyes, unstopping their ears, so that now they can receive Yeshua and God's plan. But their culture, their family, and their relationship with them and what the rabbis teach, because rabbinical Judaism does not bring about salvation and reconciliation unto God. It cannot. Because Messiah Yeshua, who is salvation, is left out. And they're encouraged not to pursue him. And so with that, God as what you heard in his word today, is by grace calling a remnant. Remember what Yaakov is speaking here and what, what Shaul is speaking here? It's not through legalistic works. And so what are Jewish people around the world are pursuing? Legalistic works to appease God through forms of orthodox Judaism that is just legalistical works that does not 
produce true repentance and saying to God, I'm completely undone. Going through these ritualistic works and they don't, do not receive their salvation. That's the path that God is on in dealing with his people. And right now there's division in the body of Messiah because right now when the body of Messiah should be rising up and standing with Israel and speaking out against anti-Semitism, a large portion of the body of Messiah is into replacement theology. That the formation of the nation of Israel was a mistake. It was orchestrated by man and not by God. And that they, who had been grafted into the commonwealth of Israel, has replaced Israel. And they're now recipients of all the promises. There are debates going on in Bible studies right now over the land. People are siding with Hamas. There are churches up at their altars. They have the American flag, the Christian flag, and they have the flag of Hamas. What message is coming from part, the majority part, of the body of Messiah? Replacement theology is another form of hatred and anti-Semitism. Because if you're not willing to be persecuted and be misunderstood by Jewish people who have veils over their eyes because you believe that through Moses riding on his coattails that every man, woman, and child who is from a Jewish heritage, does not need to mention the name of Yeshua as their Messiah, and they do not need to become born again. God is now allowing in his body for the demonstration of who his goats are and who his sheep are. Yeshua said that he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. That's both individuals and also nations. And so right now, how can you love Yeshua? How can you, love, can you love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? But you cannot love the Jewish people that have a veil over their eyes. Have you replaced Israel and made yourself Israel? And that's something 
the body of Messiah has to consider right now. Is Israel a perfect nation? No. Are the Jewish people perfect people? No. But they need to have the presentation of the good news. Even though it's an offense to them. Think of where you and I would be today. If Hasatan was successful in the Holocaust. And as he's been successful through the years. Church that believes in replacement theology, consider this. If there is not the state of Israel, and if there's not Jewish people, they're in Jerusalem. Yeshua cannot come back. Don't think for a moment since you've been grafted in, now you've replaced Israel, you're the new spiritual Israel, and that when Messiah is ready to come back, and he says, I will not come back until I hear those words, Baruch HaBab B'Shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He won't be healing, hearing that from those who have been grafted in. But from the Jewish people. So take that, think about that, open up the scripture and allow the spirit living God to speak to you. You have been deceived. By Hasatan himself. You may have good intentions and love towards Arab people, but what they've done is they have slaughtered the apple of God's eye. God has not chosen the descendants of Ishmael to be a light and revelation to the nations. That assignment is the Jewish people. And I question, I question your sincerity and love for Yeshua as the Messiah. If you cannot hold love in your heart towards the Jewish people and to the Arab people and to every lost individual, no matter what tribe or nation they come from, I doubt your salvation. I doubt that the presence of the living God dwells within you. Because God loves all. And he sent his son to die for all. And right now, the Jewish people throughout the earth need the witness of love and standing with Israel. So that the nations can stir them who have been grafted into jealousy. And God's word, as you've heard today, be fulfilled. That the light that shines within you, the love of God that shines within you. The scripture says this, to the Jew first, and then to the nations. Most congregations, most denominations, skip over that revelation. And if we do things out of order that God has established the order, 
by one of his holy apostles who've delegated that order to us, simply passed it on, then we're in rebellion against God. We're in rebellion against both the prophets and the apostles. And now is a time to stand. Praise be unto God. So continuing here. Verse number 18, Yaakov reveals about demons. And I want to tell you this about demons. They're not atheists. They see God. They know his power. They know his authority. And it shakes within them. They know about their rebellion. You know, there's no salvation. There's no redemption process for fallen angels. Think of God's love and grace towards us who have been created in his image and likeness. There's both grace and there's a redemption plan. So when they think of God, they know that his day of judgment is coming and they will not escape it, those fallen angels. Yaakov goes on to say in verse 19 of chapter 2, you believe that God is one? Yaakov now challenges his imagery. The adversary is. You may affirm the Shema, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. A central creedal statement of Judaism, recited how many times a day? At least twice, by every observant Jew. Good for you. So what? The demons believe too. For Satan and his minions are thoroughly familiar with Scripture, and they do not dispute its truth. But such intellectual affirmation is not saving faith. So the thought makes some shudder with fear, for they know their judgment is true, because any word that's proceed from God the Father's mouth through his Son Yeshua and spoken to us by the Ruach, You know it shall come to pass. According to his orchestration and the timing, it shall be done. Our God is not a liar. Continuing. For unlike believers joyfully accepting their eternal glorification with God, these demons know that an irredeemable and dreadful fate of hell awaits them at the last judgment. Where does it speak of this? In Revelation chapter 20. And know this, hell was not created for God's image and likeness, which are human beings. It was created for those falling angels. But with God's severe judgment, whose name, whoever his name is not inscribed in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. Once that revelation is made known, will not have an opportunity to repent from their sins. An angel will take that individual and then drop them in the lake of fire. Now that should inspire all of us to be able to go and proclaim the good news with these people. That's their destination, according to God's word. So, unlike human skeptics, they know, the demons know that there is a hell. With the lake of fire and brimstone, 
It is real, not merely a scare tactic, using to frighten the gullible. Next, faith apart from action is barren. Abraham Avinu offered up his son Isaac. Where is that recorded? In Berejit, which is Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19. We won't be reading those scriptures today. That's your homework assignment. Also, Messianic Jews, the book of Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. Continuing, Abraham Avinu, our father Abraham. Abraham was declared righteous because of actions. On this, Messianic Rabbi Yekiel Lechtenstein writes this. It means that faith was revealed through his actions, as immediately explained in the following verse. And this corresponds with Bereshit Genesis 22.12. Now I know that you fear God. And so with this, going forward, Shaul said in Romans chapter 4 verse, chapter 4 verse 2, For if Avraham, Abraham, came to be considered righteous before God because of works, then he has something to boast about. But this is not how it is before God. The meaning is that Shaul interprets the words, I know, in Bereshit, Genesis 22, 12, that God can only glorify himself with Abraham before mankind. Now I know henceforth I have something to answer. Satan and the nations who wonder what is my love towards you. Now I have a plan of attack for they see that you fear God. But in any case, Shaul admits that Avraham was declared righteous because of his actions. As written in Bereshit 26.5, Avraham obeyed my voice. And kept my charge. This is what the Holy One, blessed be he, said to Yitzhak. Now going forward. Yaakov chapter 2 verses 21 through 22. Although Avraham was considered righteous by faith alone, his faith never remained alone. True faith is always accompanied by its twin, and what is the twin? The outgoing works. See, once we come to a faith in Messiah, we start the sanctification process, and then the Lord asks us to do works, not that we're to earn our salvation, but that's already sealed by God. But the demonstration that we are saved, we are sanctified, are now being lived out. And who tells us what works to do so that we'll not become legalistic? The Ruach HaKodesh. And he reveals to us what we're to be doing. He empowers us. He equips us. And if we do what he does not give us, the equipment or the empowerment to do, that's an act of rebellion against God. The Ruach HaKodesh is not of a different opinion. Yeshua is not of a different opinion. And Abba, Father God, is not of a different opinion. They're of the same opinion. They work together, each fun functioning in their ordained 
tasks. Let's continue. Praise be unto God. Avraham was considered righteous by faith alone. His faith never remained alone. True faith always accompanied with its twin works. By offering up Yitzhak, Isaac, on the altar, Avraham proved his salvation. Because if a person has real faith, it will be demonstrated through the works in his life or her life. Now let us go to verses 22 through 24. Avraham's works were perfected or matured by his faith. How do we know this? Genesis 15, 6. Chapter 22, 9. And 22, 10, 11, and 12 through 16. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Messianic Jews, Hebrews 11, 17. That's another assigned homework. He was not made righteous by his obedience, but was shown to be righteous. The initial act of faith and proof of faith are different, but they're both related. Next, now let us look at verse 23. Abraham was called God's friend. A friend is not one who merely declares his loyalty, but who proves it by his deeds. On the subject of friendship, Yeshua told his Talmudim, his disciples, no one has greater love than a person who is willing to lay down his life for his friends. And he went on to say, you are my friends. Think about that. Are you his Talmudim? You are his friends. So let us continue here. You are my friends if you do what I command you to do. Where is that found? In the Gospel of John, Yohanan, chapter 15, verses 13 through 14. So Avraham's offering of his son Isaac resembles God's offering of his own son, Yeshua. God asked him, are you willing to sacrifice all for me? And Abraham said, yes. And God sent the angel of the Lord to stop him. There's debate whether that was Yeshua or just an angel of the Lord. But can you imagine that imagery here? If it was Yeshua himself that stopped that knife to be plunged into Yitzhak, and that one day he would come back, he would be born of a virgin, he would live out his life, and one day on that exact same mountain, his father would ask him to lay down his life so that you and I could have salvation. What God desired Abraham to prove to him that he's willing to sacrifice all to honor God. He was stopped. But the only way, the plan of salvation before the heavens, the earth, before the universe was even created, before you and I were created, this was God's salvation plan for you and I, that his son one day willingly would place himself upon that altar and die in your and my place. The Holy Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, and by his precious blood, we are redeemed and re reconciled to God the Father. 
What a truly beautiful picture. But let us continue. Praise be unto God. Verse 25. Although they were vastly different people, Avraham was a godly Hebrew man, and Rahab was what? A Gentile prostitute. Both proved their faith by what? By works. Both trusted in God. Did Rahab, did uh, the, the, the Israeli or Jewish spies, did they lead her in a prayer down at the altar? No. But simply her believing. Did Abraham bow down at, at an altar at Ur of the Chaldees? And pray a sinner's prayer. And then he went off to a place that God would show him. No. He simply believed God. Let's continue here. So we have traditions today in the Western world where you have to do certain things. The thief on the cross. Did he come to an altar? Did he pray a sinner's prayer? Was he water baptized? No. He simply turned to Yeshua and said, will you remember me when you come in your kingdom? And Yeshua said, today you shall be with me in paradise. See, the whole thing is this. We are to search after God with our whole heart, soul, and mind. And then he reveals himself to us. And that's what brings about salvation and relationship. Let's go forward. Verse 25, Rahab the prostitute. I don't have time today, but here's Joshua 2, chapter 2, verses 8 through 21, and also Joshua 6, 25. She's also mentioned in Messianic Jews, Hebrews, 1131, as one of the heroines of faith. Her example is even more striking than that of Avraham, for her works prior to her conversion were unarguably wicked. And what does it say in Messianic Jews chapter 11, verse 31? By trusting Yahab, the prostitute, welcomed the spies, and therefore did not die along with those who were disobedient. And who were the disobedient? Her neighbors. Getting back. So with this, in Ezekiel chapter 18, one reports, and this is from the Mikhita, which is part of the traditional writings of the sages. And this is how they interpret Shemot Exodus 18.1. And this is what they wrote. There were reports that she had been a prostitute for 40 years from the age of 10. Doesn't that disgust your soul? I know in the Muslim faith, they can marry girls as young as eight and nine years old. That's disgusting. That was part of her culture. That was accepted way. See how mankind has fallen. But when she joined herself to the Jewish people, she became a proselyte. That is someone who's from the nations, who embraces the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as her own God. Her faith was genuine, for she not only affirmed the God of Israel, found in Joshua 2.11, 
but she did actions to demonstrate her faith when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another route. This was the beginning of a complete change in lifestyle. You know what's beautiful about Matthew, and I'll end on this? Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, names her as an ancestor of Yeshua the Messiah. And here it is. Matthew 1, 5 declares, Salmon was the father of Boaz. You may be thinking, boy, I, I know that name. Oh, the book of Ruth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got it. I got it. Okay. And it says this, Salmon was the father of Boaz, and his mother was Rahab, this prostitute. So think about that, okay? Now let's go forward. Boaz, who was the son, okay, was the father of Yeshai. And you may say, well, Yeshai, Yeshai, who's that, who's that? Oh, Jesse. That's David's dad. Okay. All right. So Boaz was a father, excuse me, I got back up. I jumped over a line here. Boaz was a father of Oved. And who was Boaz's wife? It was Ruth. She was the mother of Ovid. Okay? And so Ovid was the father of Yeshai. I jumped a verse there. And who is Yeshai? Jesse. And Yeshai, Jesse, was the father of King David. Think about that. In Yeshua's own heritage of being born from a virgin Jewish woman that the Ruach HaKodesh came upon. His lineage had two Gentile women, one an Edomite from Ruth, a group of people that were forbidden to even join the Jewish people, but God through his grace allowed her to come. And so God's about grace and mercy. And so should we. Shabbat shalom.